Welcome back to Sit Down Startup Podcast. I'm Pedro. And I'm Tara. On this show, we bring inspiring stories from leaders in the startup space in a casual coffee shop style conversation. Hear how these leaders navigate the challenges of building a customer-centric business and get actionable insights to help you grow your startup by putting your customer first. And if you like what you hear, go ahead and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SitDownStartup. Our guest today is entrepreneur and investor Christoph Auer-Welsbach. Christoph is the co-founder and co-CEO at the workforce performance management platform Kaizo. He is also a founding director of the Dutch nonprofit City AI and as chairman of the board at the revolutionary domain name marketplace Dan. Christoph shares with us the Kaizo story and how to hack the Zendesk marketplace. That's right, Tara. Christoph is one of our technology partners, and his diverse and rich background led him to start Kaizo in 2018. I had the pleasure of grabbing coffee with him for this episode. Are you ready? Let's sit down and start up. Cool. So, Christoph, uh, I'm super excited to have you with us today at Sit Down Startup Podcast. And I wish I was in Europe with you drinking a coffee on, I don't know, Italy, maybe in Amsterdam, all the good places that have better coffee than LA, I'll <laughs> say. But here we are still uh, doing all of these recordings on, online. So uh, we sure. always like to ask our guests, what is your favorite coffee drink? And if you could have been right now in any place in the world having a coffee, where would you like to be? Hey, Pedro. Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, interesting question. So first of all, I don't drink coffee at all, actually. Uh, I'm not a coffee drinker. My wife does extensively. Um, so no coffee places. Um, I'm originally from the south of Austria in Europe. So um, it takes me by car roughly from there. Uh, 20 minutes to get to Italy. So I think the best places to drink, at least for me, is to smell good coffee and to embrace the, you know, the vibe of a, of a proper coffee culture is definitely in Italy. And the more south you go, I think, yeah, the more fun it basically gets where you can also, you know, spritz up a roll is more north, northern, right? And in the south, you get then also some, some other, you know, stuff with it. And, and, um, yeah. I like it. You're my kind of guy. You prefer that <laughs> spritz aperol than coffee. I feel you. <laughs> yeah. So, Christoph, you since I met you a couple of years ago, I got to know more about your work and your career in tech. You played so many different roles before co-founding Kaizo. So, uh, what led you to your career in tech? Was that something that you always wanted to do? Yeah, I mean, tech not in particular, maybe, right? I mean, I started everything around business and finance and ended up in this typical field, you know, as a, as a, as a white male, you know, in the finance industry, you know, investment manager type of things. But what led me to tech is that in my first role, um, you know, we invested in technology companies, but, you know, small and mid caps, as they were called, right? They're stock list and stock traded. And this institution I worked for, they um, invested in companies to, create or to, to, to get to a majority stage so that they would have an impact in their strategy and everything. So this was the fun part, right? Because we really looked in depth into, you know, what is the strategy, how do you prepare for the future and so on. 
But um, in the end, what led me then to startups and to the tech world as we know it today, right? What is it, 12, 15 years later? It's really that I got bored there because in the end, you talked a lot about stuff, but it's, you know, you know it's big corporations, you know, with thousands of employees. They don't move. So I started looking outside, found, you know, other entrepreneurs, startups, started working with them a little bit, helping them out. Um, and then at some point I said, okay, I'm bored, I leave. And then I started working with startups then also co-founding, you know, one, two startups there. With one, I got lucky. With another one, you know, I got not that lucky, but hey, it brought me to the Bay Area as a European back in 2012, where I spent then two years. And it was, you know, amazing because I learned so much there, um, met a couple of common friends as we just, you know, figured out um, I'm there as well. And it was, a, you know, a start of a very exciting journey, I have to admit. In 2012 was such a good time to be in the Bay Area with the boom of tech, uh, Uber, Airbnb. It was so much going on that time. Yeah. Uh, and such a good time to be there and thinking about entrepreneurship. Now I feel like it's still a really good time. There's more and more business being created. We are on the yeah. next renaissance of uh, startups, but it's more split than centralized in the Bay Area. Uh, the yeah. funny fact that I actually moved to San Francisco in in 2012 too. So we could have met theoretically. <laughs> I know, yeah, but I was not very into tech on the first uh, year that I was there because coming from Brazil, I still didn't know much about the whole startup thing. So it took me a couple yeah. of years uh, to figure that out. Uh, and you also mentioned that you you work as an investor and a couple mm. you've co-founded a couple of startups. And what, so I, I, I assume that I know the answer already. So do you, like on the role of investing or operating, which one do you prefer the most and why? Um, I mean, you know, it might, it might sound, sound, sound weird, but on the other hand, it seems also somehow typical that, you know, if you, if you failed on the entrepreneurial side in some shape or form, that you start then getting active on the other side, like on the investment side, because with the mistakes, with the failure, with the operational experience, this is what people generally like to have. And um, so I enjoyed this on the investment side and I invest personally on the side a little bit as well, as, as most people do these days, right? And help entrepreneurs. Um, but you're right. I mean, the answer is that I always kind of, you know, burn for, for, for operating myself, right? I always had this feeling when, you know, talking to people, you know, I, I, I saw their passion in their eyes and I saw this dedication and I was like, oh, my God, I'm so close, but I'm still not in there. I want to and I have to at some point. And I would love to say that this was always clear for me at the beginning. You know, you know, these 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 cheesy stories where people said, yes, by the age of seven, I already had a lemonade stand or sold other stuff. No, I was always the guy who bought that stuff from others. But then when I had a pleasant experience, you know, then I went over and tried to help and improve and to grow it. And that's kind of, yeah, the story um, yeah, of my life, I would say, in entrepreneurship. That makes sense. I feel like you're, you're itching too much seeing people in action. And then yeah. now you are in action, right, at Kaiser. Yes. So share a little bit more uh, with me and our listeners how you met your co-founder, Dominic, and how you guys brought the idea of Kaizo to the market. So yeah, um, Dominic and I met in 2015. Um, I came from London, so after moving back from, from the US to London and then to Amsterdam. And um, we met at an evening somewhere, I think at 11 p.m. or so. I had my suitcase still with me because I was actually moving from one hotel to the other in my first days there, trying to find an apartment. And, um, you know, 
a, co a colleague of mine, you know, she basically took me with, you know, with her, for, you know, we went to, to, to eat something. And then I met Dominic basically there. And then he said, Hey, why the heck do you have a suitcase with him? I'm like, yeah, I'm, you know, going to my hotel. I'm looking for an apartment to stay there. And he said, Hey, you know, if it's just a couple of days, you know, come on over. I have a room. You can stay with me. These couple of days turned out to be almost one and a half years. <laughs> so that's where we then, you know, really got to know each other. We became good friends. Um, you know, he was at my wedding. I have the honor to be then also now his best man when COVID will be over, hopefully, right? Then I can actually, you know, be that. And so, yeah, with that, with that, you know, we then, you know, I was involved in his former company, right? It's an enterprise, was an enterprise startup, you know, in the, in the business process analytics space. And, you know, he got into this customer service industry with that. And, you know, we were sitting with, I, you know, I have to admit with a couple of glasses of wine sometimes during the evenings and nights discussing, you know, you know, how to do product and, you know, how to build the business. And, you know, in my role back then, right, as, as an investor to help, you know, to help him, to help his co-founder back then and the team. And that's then where things emerged also for Kaizo, you know, where the idea is, is basically, you know, stands for quite a while already, for a couple of years. And um, it was part where we then recognized that this enterprise offering is also applicable to a broader market, but not in the way that it's offered. Because, of course, as an enterprise, you have long sales cycles. It's very personal, service-oriented. So we thought, okay, how do we switch that? And how can we bring this offering to the market in, you know, in an out-of-the-box solution? And that's basically then evolved gradually um, into Kaizo in the end of the day. Got it. And then share a little bit more with us, uh, the big pain points that you saw on the customer support uh, industry that you are now solving with the software that you're building that is out of the box, easy, and is helping. Yeah. Like, like you always say, uh, support heroes should do a better <laughs> job, right? Yes. No, no. I mean, support heroes is really a mantra for us, right? When we look at it, of course, it's, it's now targeted at customer support, customer service, you know, customer facing teams. Um, and it's a tough job. We know it, right? I mean, all the senders know it as well. It's not well paid. I saw a statistic that eight out of 10 times you get shouted at, um, you know, um, um, it's maybe not physically demanding, but you know, mentally it's definitely demanding. Um, so this was kind of a perfect area to, to go into and see, okay, how can we improve operational management? Because, um, and when we looked, you know, I was maybe mentioned it before that I was, you know, part of IBM. I was, of course, on the venture side, but still with IBM. So, you know, over two, three hundred thousand employees. So this whole kind of goal setting, goal, you know, goal measurement, KPI measurement of your personal performance is tough, you know. And with that in mind, is you know, if you need to bring this whole goal setting and steering down to the employee, it's it's quite a tough exercise to do so. And with that in mind, we said, okay, how can we bring this to the individual employee, to the workforce, to the 90% part of the, of the, you know, of, of the employees, of the people working at an organization. And there, you know, we understood that we all, we need to go bottom up. We need to involve the support hero actively in his way of working. And there we don't talk really about motivation and engagement because that's a beneficial side effect of it, but it's more about how to show somebody and enable him to steer his own kind of performance and productivity, how to make him, you know, when he can or when he wants to be more productive and to achieve his or her goals. And that basically drives us. And that's the pain point then in the end that we saw that this just didn't exist in the market. And of course, in custom support, 
to the mentioned points, we saw a great market to, to, to dive in with the experience that we had already from before. Yeah. And then it got, and you mentioning that is a very tough job and it got worse <laughs> with the <laughs> pandemic, right? Because now yes. you are at, most of them were doing customer service at home, yeah. maybe have a good setup, maybe don't have a good setup. Customers and service were all over the place in the last year. So very hard to meet expectations when yes. you don't know what to do with the market or how your product or service was going to work during a world pandemic. And yeah. also for the managers, right? Your team is distributed everywhere. It's very hard yes. for you to like make sure that you empower them to be successful. You are giving them the right metrics to self-evaluate your work, right? Coming yeah. from your point before of like, oh, leadership is very easy to, not easy, it's easier to build the OKRs and the goals, but yeah. if you don't trigger down to the bigger part of the organization in a way that is simple, that also make it easy for them to self-evaluate their progress, it's very hard, right? Because yeah. if you're always, you don't know when you're doing a good job, you, yeah. and is, if you don't have a person like sitting next to you telling that or in the office, how do you know if you're performing, if you're contributing to the, uh, the goals of the business and so on? So I'm really excited to see all of the progress that uh, you and the team is building to give more visibility yeah. and empower more support heroes. It's maybe, maybe, maybe to add to that, right? I think it's, it's, it's really to the point that you said, right? With the achievement, it's really the acknowledgement. It's, you know, to be involved, right? We all know that, you know, if, if you have skin in the game, we say, right, then you're just in generally, you know, typically more, you know, more active. If that means being more, you know, Performing or more productive is one side, more engaging, more motivating on the other side. And these are common challenges that the customer service industry still faces, right? With these averages of these, you know, 12 to 14 months kind of employee retention time, which means every 12 to 14 months, your whole support department typically kind of just recycles. That's a huge loss, I think, on organization for the organization, but it's also a huge loss for the employee, for the, for the support hero, because Maybe he could have done something that's, you know, aligned with his career development, you know, something that he could contribute more. And in the end, it could be a mutual beneficial way and, and match. Like it's better for the company and it's better for the individual, you know, person for the support here to then stay there to build out the career and, you know, make a long lasting impact. Exactly. And keeping them happy and engaged because then you help your customers be happy and engaged because most yeah. of the time, right, <laughs> to not say all of the time, they're the ones interacting with your customers through all the different True. transactions and touch points. Uh, so how old is Kaizo now? So Kaizo was started in March 2018. So I uh, you know three, three years and two months in. Yeah. How many people do you have on your team? Uh, yeah. How many customers are you serving now? Tell us a little bit more on that. So Kaiser grew since, you know, beginning of 2020, end of 2019 from, from nine people to over 26 now. So um, um, was, uh, we we're quite excited and amazing. We had, had to learn a ton. I mean, you know, we, we weren't a remote or even a hybrid company really before. We had some people somewhere abroad, but it was still mainly focused on, you know, on site in the office. Uh, we hired or have now more people that we hired remotely than, you know, we hired actually on site. So this was a huge kind of thing. But 
I wouldn't call it the downside. I would call it actually an amazing upside because on the other hand, out of these 25 people, we have 90 nationalities, which is amazing because um, we celebrated kind of, you know, three times Easter, just the last, you know, two months, you know, um, Orthodox Easter was just until I think yesterday. Um, so that's, that's, that's super exciting. It creates a very diverse culture. Um, it brings in, you know, a lot in, you know, how, you know, how to build this culture, how to, to, to thrive it. Um, and this is also something that helps on the, you know, on our customer side, when we're building out, you know, our own customer support, for example, when we do, you know, sales, etc. Now we serve over 600 customers from over 54 countries. Um, we had the two most successful months in Q1 this year after a tremendous 2020. So, you know, under, you know, understanding the, you know, the differences of different cultures in different countries helps with the customers, right? How to deal with them, um, you know, read between the lines, make them happy, you know, and that's how you get, how we had succeeded at the beginning also on Zendesk, on the marketplace, right? I mean, making sure that we have happy customers. I think that's for every startup. Um, Alexis said it, I think, in, in this last episode uh, um, that was recorded. You know, creating happy customers creates your early adopter base. And this is the start and the, the foundation for success, hopefully. Yeah. And I think you touched on a really good point. Uh, it's, I always heard from Miko, our founder at Zendas, that he always built a software company to be global, right? And then having yeah. that footprint that you have already of like, 19 nationalities, you already have that global uh, DNA on your business that allows you to like grow, grow in different parts of the world simultaneously, right? right. Understand where the markets that has better need because software compared to physical goods is easy yeah. to expand globally, yeah. right? But uh, you need to have the people behind that, to, especially yeah. if you're trying to go on enterprise sales because you yeah. need to know how the sales cycle works, how actually sales work on different cultures, right? Yes, it's not exactly. everywhere that you're going to do web try-by, right. especially some countries you need to have some handshakes. So it's, right. it's good to have those uh, knowledge in-house, right? right. Uh, and then something that you mentioned about the Zendesk marketplace, right? For the, for the folks that don't know, uh, Kaizo technology, right, is built connected to Zendesk. Right. So you can download uh, Kaizo through the Zendesk marketplace. And you all in the last uh, year had an amazing success <laughs> on really growing on our marketplace. So uh, I know that we first met because you always started in our incubation program at Station F right. in Paris, Uh maybe a couple of years ago and already like being graduated and growing yeah. 2019 pre-pandemic time. <laughs> we actually yeah. could go see people. Yes. We were actually physically in Paris at Station F, you know. Good days. Very good days. And now you have a really good traction on the Zendesk marketplace. And as <laughs> we you. keep building our ecosystem play to attract more and more Startups should build on Zendesk and use those channels. I would like to hear from you. Can you share a little bit more about what made you successful on reaching the, um, the amount of ratings and downloads yeah. that you have today? So, of course, uh, you know, it's, it's always, you know, our point of view. So maybe we miss out on other things. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we, you know, it cannot be denied that, that we are in the top, top kind of rated apps for, you know, almost 15 or 16 months now in a row, which is amazing. Um, I mean, first of all, maybe to start off, 
with is that um, if you have a solution that doesn't bring value to Zendesk customers, then you know we still don't know how to hack your way up to that. So we always approach it in the way of, yes, we have found something that has some sort of a strong niche fit, so to speak, right? And for us, the question was always on you know how to push it you know, towards the top and compete against established players as quickly as possible as a small startup. Um, and then I think there are kind of three, three main elements that we focused on. Um, the one for us quite deliberately that we said, okay, we want to play it as a single go-to-market channel. So we really focus on Zendesk as a small startup. You know, playing a go-to-market channel is a full-time effort. It's not easy. It takes a lot of resources. So making sure that we align our activities with Zendesk and focus on common areas with Zendesk in terms of, you know, customers, customer problems, joint offerings, value propositions is one part that we see as a key to, to the success of it. Um, the second part is that, you know, as a small startup and, you know, as I think I hinted on before, customer service is a key differentiator. And, you know, with startups, you can, as a startup, you can do things that maybe large companies usually can't do anymore. You know, like, um, you know, you can be very flexible in how you deal with your customers. Um, you can align certain feature developments that might be requested, right? Or you can have dedicated people working with your customers um, over, the long, uh, over the long term. Um, and that's, I think, important, you know, also for Zendesk in particular, because, you know, with that, we have now, I think, over 85 star ratings and over 65 positive reviews. And, you know, with that, we, you know, we made sure that we can provide, you know, great customer service ourselves because when customers love us, then, of course, it helps us to also play the marketplace properly, right? And then the last part, I think, is as a result out of this focus on customer support is really that we've actually focused on this rating and reviews, right? And made sure that we get positive ones, right? And how to get positive reviews, um, and it's not only well, kind of, it doesn't only help us to achieve a continuous and higher number of customers with a lower customer acquisition cost. Um, but it even more so, and I talked with, with other colleagues from you at Zendesk before about that as well, it actually plays in Zendesk's chosen marketplace model, right? I think it's something that is good to say here, right? It's fair. It's open. It's a transparent marketplace and it focuses on this community and engagement. And if you play kind of the marketplace in the way that you focused on customer interaction to get ratings and reviews, then of course, you know, you create kind of naturally and, and build out this kind of, you know, with Zendesk, this kind of community and engagement on this marketplace. And that's for us a recipe for long-term success because it drives engagement on the marketplace overall. But it also, of course, helps us to stay on top of it because we're growing with it. Yeah, that's totally makes sense. So to summarize from what I got from you, right? <laughs> Define a one single go-to-market channel into your case with the Zendesk platform and really go deep into that so you can understand where yeah. the opportunities are and you'll be 100% focused, which a lot of startups, depending on if you're building on a top of a platform or go direct to your consumers, you try to throw spaghetti on the wall and whatever yeah. stick you stay. Yeah. Uh, but that's a lot of the reasons that people fail, right? So if you, yeah. you need to develop that discipline and focus. Uh, the second point that you mentioned, focus on a great customer service. Yeah, right. On a customer service platform, basically, right? Or CRM, right? Yeah. And it's one of the things, right, that you can, as a, a smaller team, you can be more nimble and you can go above and beyond yeah. to really show that you care about your customers versus 
putting them on a funnel of processes of like mm-hmm. what happens, which most of the case, bigger enterprise, they do that, right? They treat yeah. customers like ticket number that go on mm-hmm. the process that you flip it yourself. Uh, and then you can really use that as a way to show that competitive advantage mm-hmm. to go against bigger enterprise. And you have the chance to be more nimble, right? Move fast, exactly. try new things, align yep. your product roadmap, where innovation is coming from. Uh, and the third part that I saw for, heard from you is that building that ecosystem community play so yep. you can really focus on, like, you really like your product, why, okay, ratings and reviews, but really understanding yep. the user, collecting feedback and building, building being part of that. Uh, and I seeing mm-hmm. a tremendous help from you and your team for yeah. all the yeah. different community initiatives that we've been doing the last year. So I really appreciate that because yeah. that way you build trust, right? You build right. trust. They like you. They're going to go a little bit outside of their scope to test your product, talk mm-hmm. to you so you can get a collect feedback versus just like people reaching on Slack DM or LinkedIn, just, hey, can I show you my product or a demo, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. you and everybody else <laughs> wants to do that. Harry, you hit on a great point. I think there's the, the other one maybe, but it, it sounds so obvious, right, on the one hand, but on the other hand, maybe also to state it, right, it's it's also to to be a professional trusted partner, right, to your go-to-market partner, Zendesk in this case, right? It's like, of course, as you said, right, you can go and say, hey, can you include me here? Can you include me there? Can you help me with marketing this? Can you introduce me that? we always try to say, okay, what can we bring to the table? How can we enrich the ecosystem and the community? What can we do to help? Of course, I mean, one out of, what is it now? 1,200, 1,300 apps on the marketplace. Of course, it's tiny, right? But still, it's it's a contribution that gets valued and it builds dimension trust that you said across, you know, the whole range of people that we engage with and that our customers together engage with. And yeah, that's kind of then for up for a fair and collaborative partnership in the end, I would say. You always have to give more than you get, right? It's yes. just, it's just yeah. human relationship, yeah. even though we put brands and, and names <laughs> behind that. If you're always just asking, asking, and not providing anything in return and adding value, is it's right. harder to get into a point where you want to be when you're building relationships. Yeah. So that's why I feel like we are more and more business are thinking of this Let's, the keyword community as a way to like, how can we build a go-to-market uh, strategy that drives also retention, long-term, uh, lifetime value that you can focus on everybody around your ecosystem giving, yeah. not just taking, right? So right. users can help each other, partners can provide new technology. So that's a really good opportunity to all grow and innovate together. Uh, we touch a lot of the good things that work. So is there anything that you want to share that didn't work? Uh, I want to hear a little bit of the bad and the ugly of the things that you guys tried in the past couple of years. Yeah, the ugly. I think, to be fair, there there is, there is maybe nothing ugly, right? Um, I mean, we have seen, you know, approaches where, yeah, people people misbehaved in the sense of the partnership and, you know, to your point, you know, try to get more than they are actually willing, actually willing to give, right. And show kind of disinterest and kind of stuff. Um, we haven't experienced that ourselves. Maybe the, you know, some things that, that's, you know, as a startup, you need to be careful with, um, is on the one hand, you, um, 
you know, the communication part, of course, you're very eager, right? And you want to, you know, kind of get in touch. And for you, it's the most important thing ever. But, you know, of course, there are more partners, you know, they are different than other timelines. So you need to align with that. And there you have can, of course, shake up things, which is the positive, you know, way of, of saying it. And you can also, you know, maybe piss off somebody who says, you know, no, guys, no, I said no, or this is not relevant to me. So please accept it. You know, that, I think that's that's part of this this, this relationship will be in the end. That makes sense. There is something about uh, being resilient. And but there is a point that you cannot be too aggressive, right? To burn, to burn bridges. Uh, no is I like to say that no is never an option until it is. So and then you have right. to know how to step back and and otherwise is uh, you never know the long term play yeah. of that person or partner. So you need to make sure that things take time. So be patient, right? It's a large organization to deal with, right? And priorities need to be aligned and you need to be patient and find your way through it and align it basically to get on someone's agenda. That's a really good point. And to close it up, uh, Christoph, I know that you all have a podcast that you bring stories <laughs> of support heroes uh, in live. And it's so great to see the last 10 years uh, that, that I've been with uh, the last eight years that I've been with Zendas, but the last 10 years of the evolution of customer experience support, it was not very, you didn't see podcasts or any media or events focus on those professionals that were doing such important job for the company. Mm -hmm. So it's very, we are very ha happy to see more and more opportunities for those yeah. professionals to share their stories. So this is an opportunity for you to do a little bit of a shameless plug for our <laughs> listeners to go listen to your podcast. So tell us a little bit more about Support Heroes podcast. Sure thing. Absolutely love to. Um, so Support Heroes kind of came out of our vision, of course, right? And we didn't want to brand it as a company. We want to make it for the community and be supportive and facilitated. And with that in mind, you know, our goal was um, from the beginning is to support the growth of the whole kind of customer service community to facilitate its members' needs and to give support heroes a voice, you know, enabling, enabling kind of maybe even an evolutionary movement. Sounds maybe again a little bit, you know, over the top, but I believe or we believe, you know, that, that it's time actually even after, you know, COVID came, you know, hit, kicked in last year to actually really do that and to really go beyond that. And with support heroes, we focus, um, you know, on, on any kind of group and stakeholder group inside the customer service, um, um, you know, industry. On the one hand, with the heads of support, you know, from larger companies with global markets, you know, where we have people of, you know, Nick Chung from Zoom and, you know, Zapier, GitHub and other ones, you know, on the show who are really about, you know, the, the, you know, the higher level kind of elements, you know, where to take customer support from, which is exciting to, to hear and to learn from. On the other hand, we also talk, have now since two months, you know, the agents, you know, from smaller companies, maybe from local markets, you know, to get, you know, to understand, you know, how these agents are thinking, how are they feeling, um, you know, to, to, for maybe, you know, startups in particular to understand, you know, what it actually takes to build up a customer support department. And yeah, with that in mind, this is what, what, what drives us and, yeah, we get, want to give everybody, you know, a professional space to give back and to give customer support what it deserves in the end. And of course, we try to elevate the conversation and put support on the pedestal a little bit. Like we should, yes. like the, the same thing that we do, because they deserve it, right? They do yes, a hard absolutely. job to do uh, very emotional 
uh, it requires a lot of emotional uh, like stability too because you have so many like different interaction from customers on many different ways sometimes they're right sometimes they're not uh, yeah. and so you have to ha have a little bit of empathy and to be on that role and it's such a crucial role these days right when we see the evolution um you know this you know having having this relationship with the customer we see that we want you know to go from this cost center to a value center or a profit center etc that's i think that, that there is not only the movement of how you manage this and how you approach this but it's also mindset and that is again bottom up it also needs to be steered you know from the agent perspective from the new startups when they start out with they can lead the change that is then in effect in 10 20 years from now yeah and i'm super excited to what the next uh, decade in the industry will look like in terms yeah. of innovation and technology. So if you're building something for uh, the industry, go hear the stories of yes. the heroes so you can understand their pain points and build products that matter to them, not build in a vacuum. So go listen to your potential customers in there. And what's next for Kaizo? What is exciting <laughs> you the most for the next year? Um, what's exciting us the most is that we can hopefully really live up to our vision that we can able this proactive real-time steering of KPIs and goals on the one hand, and on the other hand, really empower the agent, the support hero, the advocates, whatever it's, you know, we want to call, you know, the, the, in the industry these days to be happier, healthier, more productive, you know, kind of people in the workplace and, that's that's the one side, and there will be a couple of quite exciting kind of product launches coming up on our platform in the next couple of months. Not saying too much here. Um, yeah, and on the other hand, it's you know to to foster again in partnership with Zendesk, of course, right? But also on our own way, you know, to drive this change and to push further um, so that our customers can deliver the best customer experience. And don't forget about the agent experience. On the other hand, because that's important. And that's still the backbone of the industry. Awesome. I'm already curious for all the new product launches, but I, I'll, I'll hold my inside. Shameless, I mean. shameless, shameless shout out. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, Christoph, it's a pleasure to have you on the pod. Uh, I want to close with a question that we ask every guest. So when yeah. you are on the shoes of needing help and you connect uh, <laughs> with customer service, what is your go-to channel of communication? Are you an email person? What's up? old school yeah. phone call what is your what is your preferred uh channel of communication it's it's the most common answer which is it depends so um if it's an urgent thing i prefer phone you know just call people up you know with the emotion that i have i can trigger emotions on the other side um you know and and the problem can be solved almost immediately that's that's the one thing on the other hand if i know that there is something that you know it takes more time maybe to to get it resolved because Maybe it's because I have the insights since I'm working in that industry. Then I prefer email because then it's asynchronous. You know, you shoot it out. Um, you know, you get help in the next whatever you know time frame, and somebody will resolve it. And there is no interruption needed on my side. And it's we know it as well from a customer support experience. It's the best one you know for the organizations as well to handle them. Yeah. I feel like hey, the same for me, like working in the customer support industry, <laughs> you become a better customer. So yes, you, you know your role when you're calling yeah. or email, yes. you're also more patient. So that's good. Yeah. That's good to hear. And it's surprising a lot of people when I ask those questions, they prefer phone. 
which yeah. for a long time, there's always this, is fun that is not. So apparently, at least for the founders and people that we have on the podcast, still yeah. very, very uh, preferred channel, especially for more uh, immediately uh, needs. But yeah, Christoph, very nice to have you on the show. Thank you so much. And yeah, I'll see you soon. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Pedro. Uh, thanks for everybody for listening in. See you soon or listen, hear you soon. <laughs> Thanks, Christoph. I really enjoyed this conversation with you. You're right that customer service is a demanding job and Kaizo is really helping many organizations with operational management by empowering agents to achieve their goals and objectives. Great job on hacking Zendesk Marketplace. Yes, you have incredible reviews. And what Kaizo does is so very important for morale, retention and productivity. I loved hearing how you and Dominique brought the customer-centric solution that was typically tailored for enterprise companies to the wider market. Keep helping those support heroes. If you like this episode, help us grow. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast and leave us a review. Stay safe. And hungry. And hungry.